Matthew, Matthew, Matthew. He's here again. Yeah, we're back. We're back. Mark, to... Mark, Mark. Oh, yeah, Mark, Mark, Mark. We're here to do... I'm just repeating back what you said now. Uh, <laughs> well, we're here to uh, discuss another movie. We're doing You Are Not Alone, or is that Michael Jackson? Um, <laughs> you won't be alone. You won't be alone. You won't be alone. Apologies. I was thinking about Michael Jackson. He's quite a thriller, isn't he? Talking of thrillers... Um, this podcast is a thrill ride. And uh, if you want to be involved more often, you should join the old social medias. Um, what social medias are those? <laughs> what social medias are they? Um, Facebook, Instagram. That's a good one. That's also a good one. Yeah, are those, <laughs> those are the main two, really. Those are the big hitters. Go to the Facebook group, because sometimes, not this week, but sometimes I ask you, um, you know, what you sort of want to say about the movie we're watching but i didn't do that this week because i'm lazy anyway so let's get on with it on with the show Welcome to Creative Psychopaths, a horror movie podcast and the world's premier kitchen for horror sandwiches. What are those horror sandwiches I hear you shout from the back? Well, this is my reply to you. We have a movie filling, a delicious movie filling, surrounded by two slices of lovely, lovely conversational bread. But before that, I'll introduce myself. My name is Mark, and as always, I'm joined by Matthew. Hello there. Hello there. Well, you did the Obi-Wan again. Yeah, I think it's becoming a cat. I think it's just my go-to now, actually. Yeah, yeah. Just, I was thinking earlier today that I should not do that, and I was going to go with Howdy, and then when you came to it, I just forgot and went just back into the old reliable. No, no, I like, I, I like it. I like it. You, you're a doctor. You're a Jedi. You're all over the place. Um, and this week we are joined by podcaster extraordinaire, or at least from my point of view, one good thing's Paul Salt. Hello there, everyone. I'm the last sandwich in a Tesco self-checkout, and I'm egg, and I expired yesterday. Do you risk it? Uh, no, I hate egg sandwiches. That's fair. Yeah, I, don't, <laughs> I don't like egg sandwiches. Doesn't matter how either. fresh I wouldn't. I would never compare you to an egg sandwich. <laughs> you are... Divisive. You You are like... Oh. I like to think I'm like the you're ham not, and cheese. You're, you're that sandwich that you look at and go... How is this sandwich still in the meal deal? It's more expensive than the rest of them. Okay. That's the sweetest thing anyone's ever said to me. Yeah, yeah you know, you pair you pair that with uh, with one of those like two pound innocent smoothies, and <laughs> you know that the the most expensive snack going, and you just think, how are Tesco still in business after this? <laughs> Thank you, I love it. I am Paul- hello everyone. I am Paul. Too good for the meal deal salt. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Well, well done, Matthew. You really, uh, you really, <laughs> so, you really sold the guest this week. <laughs> oh, well, really? I like meal deals. What can I say? <laughs> That's so good. Ah, so it was more about the meal deal, really. It's just like a go-to. It's a go-to. I can, I can talk about meal deals on command if needed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I mean, normally I'd just segue into that, but actually I already had my po- my pre-podcast chat sorted out. Because mm-hmm. last week you told me that I was supposed to, well, you didn't tell me, there was no there was no demand, but uh, I was going to go ahead and watch some Ben Wheatley movies. Ooh. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've been seeing them crop up on the letterbox. And yeah. I, I, am, I am surprised at, at uh, the way you've done it. Oh, really? What, in the order or just the reviews themselves? No, no, I'm surprised at, uh, at what your uh, your star ratings have been. Oh, uh, right, okay. Well, um, so I watched Kill List, mm-hmm. Sightseers, and Fi- Fast Fire? Fire? Something. Free Fire. Oh, Free Fire. Free Fire. Free Fire. Okay. Now, I gave Kill List, I think, only a three stars mm. because... Um, well, two reasons I found, and I don't know if this was just the quality of the copy that was on Prime, but the audio was a bit like I could oh, r- really? not really hear what was going on. And a lot of the time it looked like I was watching a film negative. So some of that might have been, but also it takes such a weird turn towards the end. Yeah, it does. That Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, Love it. I feel like sometimes you've talked about before how you don't like when the story just does whatever it wants um and, and and it just did that it just did whatever it wanted i i like a sharp left turn. Uh, yeah maybe yeah definitely did that i i think with kill list it definitely benefits from watching it a second time mm. and that left turn doesn't seem as abrupt once you yeah. kind of know where it's going Oh, right. Yeah, I mean, okay. right from the off, when you see the girlfriend just go to the bathroom and scratch that symbol into the wall behind the mirror, you just realize, okay, things are being set in motion here. This is the path that this is going to lead in. And yeah, nothing that these guys can do is going to help them break away from it. They've been chosen for this horrible duty. So, I, I, yeah, I think first watch is definitely tough. I, I'm not, I'm not as surprised as I, I, I may have sounded, but. I think it, it's one of them that benefits from a rewatch, definitely. I think first time around, because I saw it at the cinema and I just was so won over by Neil Maskell and Michael Smiley's chemistry. Um, in particular, just the conversation around the, the missionaries at the next table. It's just, they start playing guitar and Smiley leans over and says, I know what you're doing, you're looking for Jeremy Beadle, but he's dead now, he can't help you. <laughs> <laughs> and, was this, and he goes over to the table it's just like, um, and asks him to stop it. And he says... I understand that the love of Christ can be hard to swallow. You know, not as hard as a dinner plate, though. <laughs> Just love Neil Maskell. I haven't seen him around enough. No, maybe it was better than I thought. <laughs> no, no, I just, like I say, I think part I think part of it didn't help that I was struggling to see it because I kept stopping it mm. to change the settings on my television because I was sure it was too bright. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, often, especially when it was dark, it was like I was looking at a photo, photo negative. It was really starting to frustrate me. So um, it could be Amazon's fault that I didn't like it. Um, mm. Let's see. So, yeah, but Sightseers I really enjoyed because oh, it's yeah. sort of, uh, I wasn't, didn't know what I was going to expect there. And I think I gave that a four stars, maybe. You um, did? Thank you. Oh, yeah, because I watched I, I think I think I did as well for that one. Yes, I did. That's superb. So, yeah. funny you should mention sightseers because, uh, well, I, I have been to some of the the, the places that they visit in the ah. film. Uh, 
Did but you go to the pencil museum? I didn't. I, I was <laughs> in secondary school. Uh, we did uh, like a week. I, I was, it was kind of this pseudo religious retreat. So I went to a Catholic school hmm. and it was in Keswick where the, where the Derwent museum is. So around the area, but I've, oh, right. I've never actually been, uh, <laughs> but I have been on, I've driven through some of the, the paths that they go through some of the picturesque bits. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But we, we found uh, an actual sightseers tour and itinerary. Mm. So I think we're going to be doing a road trip in the, in the near future because oh, wow. I just think it'd be a lot of fun. And, and the pencil yeah. museum is on that. Oh, good. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, it's an iconic scene. Oh, let's As is the, uh, wait, is, it, oh, is it Matlock Tram Museum? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I was yeah, in Matlock last Tramway year. Village, Matlock, yes. Oh, right. Oh, I didn't realise I was in Matlock last year. I saw a lot of things I recognised because it's in North Yorkshire, which is where I'm from. Mm, right. They spent time in Fountains Abbey, which is a place my wife makes me go that I hate. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, it's like it's a National Trust place and it's sort of relatively right. nearby. But every time you go, I'm like, I've seen this place. It's a broken abbey. <laughs> God, once again, just reminded me of iconic lines. There's something about Ben Willie that lends itself to just iconic lines, because now I'm just thinking, report that to the National Trust, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, he's not that a human means being, he's a Daily Mail reader. <laughs> <laughs> so it does mean that you've got a, a few more to go, though, haven't you, on the, uh, mm. the, the Ben Wheatley experience? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um... I just found out he's he's the director for the Meg 2 as well. Supposedly, this has been a long time coming and it's been astonishing news ever since it was announced. I think somewhere around the time of um, Happy Birthday, uh, sorry, Happy New Year, Colin Bursted, there was an announcement that he would be directing the second Alicia Vikander Tomb Raider, which fell through, and then also the Meg 2, which apparently is still on. So we'll see. Um, he didn't fare very well when he went quite mainstream with Rebecca, the Netflix uh, remake of the Hitchcock film. Um, but hopefully, oh, and then he made In the Earth to sort of reclaim his kind of folk horror identity. So we'll have yeah, to see that... what he's able to bring to the Meg to with Jason Statham. Yeah, In the <laughs> Earth is a film that I, I really loved as well. Oh, I thought I loved that was it. Yeah. fantastic. Uh, Reese Shearsmith was so good in that. And Elora Torture, just, oh, uh, yeah, I love that movie. So I'm, I'm actually going to uh, drop some sizzle now because of <gasps> what we've been talking about. Ooh. So we we've mentioned earlier that we are going to sorry we we discussed off pod that with <laughs> me uh, i've i've been having a new year's resolution that i'm going to to read more horror books mm. and then think about the adaptations and I'm, I'm going to put some together and pitch them to uh to, to mark to see if he would watch that movie and oh good idea the the film that sorry the book that i've just read i, I think i I'm toying with Ben Wheatley as director for it at the minute because I think Ooh. it is uh, <laughs> a, a nice sort of pitch in between uh, Rebecca and the field uh, in the earth. So Amazing. we've got we've got something there. So it's a little bit of sizzle for for what's going to come up in a future <laughs> episode. But I did I also want... find out that the book in question is being made into a film, and I went in a completely different direction with what's actually going to happen. So Ooh. mine's better. <laughs> I mean, what I'd be interested to see is Wheatley on Wheatley. You know, have uh, Ben Wheatley direct some an adaptation of a Dennis Wheatley, like The Devil Rides Out or Run um, to the Devil a Daughter, and see how that goes. 
I don't know if spiritually those uh, two guys are quite in the same place, though. Dennis Wheatley was uh, a bit of a conservative in spite of writing a bunch of um, occult horror movies, uh, horror novels. Uh, It was always very much in the sense of, isn't this horrible? It's a horrible way to spend your time worshipping Satan. These hippies do it, and they're dreadful. Whereas Ben Wheatley, I feel like, is more like, crazy things happen when you take acid. And uh, (laughs) worth making movies about. (laughs) No, he's he's definitely one of the good ones. Oh, yeah. Definitely. He is. Well, that's uh, the 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 pre preamble for the sandwich was was a delight there, Lead, leading leading us into a sort of a wheat slice of wheatly slice of bread. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Um, oh, very clever. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so the first thing we're going to do, the first slice of bread we're going to be talking about, um, <laughs> something posters, P- posters. posters. Posters and taglines for horror mm. movies. Um, uh, a couple each, I think. Uh, ones sure. that we remember that spring out to us. Um, I'm I'm going to start this because I'm going to be unsurprising. Mm. Um, is, it, is it going to be Jaws? It is. <laughs> Iconic. Just it, probably it, one of the most instantly recognizable posters in the, ever made, right? Yeah, yeah, but I'm actually going to go for Jaws too. Oh wow! <laughs> going to Google that. Well, you might not be able to find because it's not specifically the one that comes up every time. Okay. But there's, a, there's a Jaws two poster that's set in sunset. Oh, I've got you, it. And all oh, you can see, and all you can see is the fin. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure it says just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. <laughs> yeah. So, Excellent tagline. Tagline. I'd say the tagline for Jaws Two is almost remembered as being the tagline for Jaws. Right. So I'm going to tell yeah, a story yeah. now. Oh. So uh, a couple of years ago, my uh, work had a big sort of company gathering, and we did a pub quiz. And there was uh, we were doing really well in the quiz, very successful. And then there was one round. It was one of those where you have to answer. Uh, you've got 10 questions. You've got to answer them all right. If you get one wrong, you lose all the points for the round. Oh, my God. So we're we're doing that so far. You know, it's like some some good questions in there. Like what company makes most, the the highest number of tires in any given calendar year? Do you want to answer that? The answer is Lego. Ah, Okay. Uh, uh, who was uh, on the cover of the first ever Playboy magazine? Was Wait, what was Monroe. the question? I'm Alan Monroe, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then it, it carried on like this. And then the quiz master said, right, what 1978 film had the tagline, just when you thought it was safe to go back into oh, the world? Oh, man. Oh, I think no. I'd have got it on 78. I think, I, then, think I might have twigged that Jules well, was 75. They, 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 there were two people much higher up in the company than me. Uh, and who were much older than me and were around at the time when this movie came out. Mm. And they said, the answer is Jaws. I said, the answer oh. is not Jaws because Jaws <laughs> didn't come out in 1978. That yep. was, it was like, oh no, it came out just after Star Wars. I'm like, no, no it came out just before <laughs> Star Wars. Yeah. And if it was Jaws, why would it be just when you thought it was safe to go back into the water? There was, <laughs> there was no peril at the beginning of Jaws to stop people going into the water. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, they 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 overwrote me. They 
they went ahead and we lost the quiz by two points. Oh, no. <laughs> That's and so annoying. As you can probably imagine, I've, I've held a grudge ever since. <laughs> I could have sworn that Psycho 2 had a... Oh, did the Psycho remake have some... You know, that dreadful Gus Van Sant thing, have a tagline that was just when you thought it was safe to go back in the shower. Yeah, it did, I mean, it did didn't it? Was it because I, I was I was looking at this one because I thought this it was a really terrible tagline. I think it was like check in, relax, take a shower. Oh, something like that, which I thought was just like everyone's seen Psycho. You don't you don't need a tagline for it. <laughs> like if you're gonna remake Psycho, just put we've remade Psycho. There's there's your tagline. You know, it's in it's in color now. You heathens. <laughs> yeah, what a what a disastrous project. It was. Uh, uh, yeah. But the Jaws 2 poster, Mark, is, mm. is very pretty. I it's like very it pretty. very much. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, 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 it's one of my favourite ones. Obviously, that's why I brought it to this. Yeah, and, and <laughs> you can uh, you can get a, a lot of them on Etsy. A lot of people selling that poster. <laughs> I don't want to buy any posters. I can't. I have a stack of posters in my house where the, for, there's just no wall space for them. So I just have a stack of posters, which I wheel out whenever someone visits. And it's like, there you go. There's that. <laughs> right. So someone else go. Someone else go. Right. So I, I will go then. Uh, <laughs> it's a film that I, I've mentioned before on our, our list. Uh, and it, it is the old Soviet movie V. Oh, I love that movie, and I'm going to mention it later. Yeah, because this is it is one hell of a poster. Mm. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to assume that it's you know, it's not a particularly well known film now. So it's mm. most people probably don't recognize it. But I think you know what we should do, Mark, is actually uh, when this episode is is released, the day of the pod, we should put uh, just a post on Instagram just with our our choices, and, and listeners can add theirs to it as well. Yeah, that's a good idea. So. Oh. You'll probably know what it looks like now because we'll, we'll upload it. But it's it's a, a you know a ghostly image. It's got monsters surrounding it, and it's yeah, it's you know done in this sort of I don't know like abused Art Deco style, <laughs> and it's like it looks spooky. It you know you you don't know if the that the person in the picture is afraid or is a thing to be feared and mm. like and it just looks just creepy and cool and i i really love it it's a really beautiful poster mm. yeah. i agree Fantastic. yeah you, you couldn't guess what that film was about could you if you look to <laughs> looking at a poster you'd never guess what that film was about i'm guessing it's the russian release of the adams family and that's meant to be christina ritchie <laughs> that yeah that would be a perfectly reasonable reading of it yeah <laughs> but at the same time though you, you do you kind of do get a feel for the movie at the same time mm. as well you know it gives nothing away but you kind of get it yeah exactly and yeah just it i mean that movie itself is so grounded in mythology and like um and, and spooky imagery that yeah it's just it's a wonderful intriguing poster to bring people in that is doing yeah, everything you need to tell people what it's all about. Hmm. Lovely. Uh, so, Paul, have you got one? I've got loads, but I'm going to talk about... Um, it's really tricky because there's so many good posters, but yeah, I want to talk a little bit about Nightmare on Elm Street um, because mm. the first five Nightmare on Elm Street movies had poster work and paintings done by a guy called Joseph Peake. 
and all five of those posters are gorgeous absolutely gorgeous but the first one in particular has nancy lying in bed with her hair sort of strewn back over the um over the pillow and you know this look of fear on her face and there's this ghostly kind of impression of freddy i don't know if this was painted before they had a finalized freddy look because the gloves are there but it's this weird hideous the blades are there but it's connected directly to like his bones it kind of looks like what they did with um nightmare on street 2 in fact with jesse's hand but yeah it, it's there it's this horrible kind of ghostly image and freddy is kind of made manifest as this horrible skull which is good because you're kind of building up mystique and what's weird if you do look at the poster for nightmare on street 2 they keep that going like it doesn't look like freddy it's got the same ghostly horrible hand and it's got a, the weird skull head coming out of the guy's face so yeah it's very and yeah both the first two posters have great taglines the first movie the tagline is if nancy doesn't wake up screaming she won't wake up at all yeah and in the second one, which I just love, the tagline is the man of your dreams is back. And it looks like a romance poster because it's got like this guy, this hunky guy, um, which is hilarious. If you've seen the movie, um, hugging the uh, gorgeous kind of love interest. And then in the reflection, he's a horrible Freddy style experience. Um, so, yeah, the man of your dreams is back is a great tagline. So, yeah, a little love for the Nightmare on Elm Street posters, the first five. Immediately, the sixth one, once he stops working for them, the sixth one is terrible. <laughs> Oh, well, I don't just... think I can recall the sixth one. Ugh, it's just his face, I think, and a red swirly thing. Which, to be fair, you know, if you had a good poster for that movie, it might be done under the um, fair, fair description of goods act. <laughs> yeah, I think there's uh, there's two of them. Uh, when I've just had a quick search for it, there's, there's one that you described with sort of, you know, the the red. It's just a, a yeah. big Freddy and, and the glove front and center. And then yeah. there's one uh, where he's sort of embossed on it and a gravestone, which has a little bit more. A that's bit a bit better it. yeah that's a bit more of a painting style thing yeah, yeah. it looks a bit better you know i i always struggled with with nightmare on elm street as a mm. as a poster because I, I i could never quite put the pieces together with them you know they, mm. they never quite fit for me uh Ooh, i think it, you know because it's that freddy not quite being freddy in the posters and stuff so it, it, i don't know something never just never quite clicked with it i mean you know as works of art they're fantastic there's no, mm, no doubt mm. about that but i and <laughs> yeah i could never really associate them to the to the movie as as much as as i'd really like i kind of like that i kind of like the disconnect because it just it, it invokes the idea that there's a spooky kind of spectral thing about it in one way or another um without it being a literal depiction but... yeah and and the other thing that they avoid, which they do in the movies, is the the uh, the word art for the <laughs> for the writing that they. Oh yeah, <laughs> one of our favorite things to talk about when we covered them. Yeah, there's a lot of that. A lot of horror films where the opening opening credit is looks like it's been done on well, yeah, like Matthew said, word art. Yes, um, but I know it's that very night- impressive at the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know that nightmare poster very well as I tried to replicate it when mm. early. Early days of doing the podcast, I, each week I was trying to insert myself, in, well, into the poster or make myself. Wow. But um, that got very hard very quickly. <laughs> um, <laughs> and also, I think on social media, it didn't quite do what I wanted it to do. Whereas people were like, I don't know what, why is this man doing this? So um, I just. That's, that's the main piece of feedback I've had with pretty much everything I've done why are you doing why are you doing this why is this man doing this mummy what's wrong with this man people will say 
<laughs> so I've got um well technically I've got two more, but I'm I, because I said only two, I'm gonna go for just uh so this is one uh that I remember from the video stores that I always remembered looking at and never uh, was brave enough to watch, which was Fright oh. Fright Night. Oh great. With yeah, the, that's a good one. With the terrible woman's face and <laughs> sort of ghosts coming out of the top of it. Yeah. Um, and I always remember that was definitely one of the ones that I would turn away from, like, oh, no, I don't need to see. I don't need to see Scary Lady. It's funny because <laughs> she, she's not even really in it that much. Um, <laughs> as I recall, <laughs> I've seen that movie and I'm sure it's more about a male vampire who lives there and the, yeah. kid, the kid next door. So it's, yeah, odd, so it's odd that she gets the billing as far as the poster goes. Like, hey, look at this person who's in this film. Um, and I do vaguely like the tagline for Fright Night, even though it's actually rubbish. It's Fright Night. If you love being scared, it'll be the night of your life. <laughs> Have you got this, this oh, two yes. posters? There's two taglines on there. There are. Right. Oh, there is on. one at the top, isn't there? Surely, surely one's enough. <laughs> well, my next one does also have two, so I will. <laughs> well, do, do you want to jump in on that one then? And uh, oh, sure. Well, yeah, yeah. just two. in terms of tag, I mean, obviously, there's um, just honourable mentions would be Alien and Friday the Thirteenth, both of which I think are gorgeous posters. The Friday the Thirteenth one is underrated because it looks like just a silhouette, but you look closer, you've got this wonderful little picture of like the woods with the characters wandering through it. It's kind of kind of pretty and slightly gothic in a way that I like. But in terms of taglines, I don't think you can beat the two taglines for the uh, 1982 movie Pieces, a Spanish uh, Jalo film, unusually Spanish-American, um, which is a terrible looking poster. It's a big chainsaw on a bed with the stitched together woman uh, lying in front of it. But at the top of the poster, we have, you don't have to go to Texas for a chainsaw massacre. And at the bottom of the uh, poster, Pieces, it's exactly what you think it is. Wow. Yeah. Gotta respect got that, that. I've got that poster up here and that's <laughs> also oh way more graphic chainsawing in this movie than Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's a far worse movie, of course. But there are, if you're in if you were disappointed at the lack of chainsaw related gore in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, then pieces <laughs> is the film for you, because it is indeed exactly what you think it is. It's batshit. Pieces is absolutely batshit. Oh god, it is. <laughs> It's insane. Like the opening fifteen minutes of that movie is just some of the the strangest footage you'll ever see because it establishes a backstory for the killer and his first kill, and they're both just out of they come out of nowhere. You just establish regular scenes and then just whoa. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's good. It's one of that. It's definitely one of those so bad it's good movies. Oh yeah. Um, unless you actually look at it, I suppose. <laughs> Well, I mean, it depends also what language you watch it in. In its original Spanish, it has a fair, a, a more somber atmosphere to it. But then in the American dub, it's ridiculous. In particular, when the Bruce Lee imitator just shows up for a cameo because the director was also working on a Bruce Lee exploit, a Bruce, a Bruce exploitation movie at the same time. So there's a scene where there's just a guy who looks like Bruce Lee comes in and does some kicks. It's very strange. I'm going to have to see this movie. This is one that I'm. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, you slept I've, on pieces. I'm not aware of, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Very good fun. 
Matthew, you've got one left. I have one more poster. And I, again, I don't think I'm being particularly original with this, but The Exorcist is... Oh, God. Just a masterpiece. Wonderful. You know, it's... I think it's a poster that takes a lot of different forms, whether you have the writing on it or not. Uh, Mm. But one thing that it always just really, really demonstrates is that it is a film about humanity and religion. Yeah. You know, it's got that, you know, ascending light going up and, you know, and the man at the bottom and it makes us think about, you know, religion, but also death and afterlife and stuff. And yeah. then you just slap the title of the film on it and it just goes, oh, this is... This is worrying now. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's yeah, beautiful. Wonderful piece of work. It's pure good versus evil as well, and but in such an unusual way. Without knowing anything about the movie, you know that this is our hero in the foreground. And you know that something horrible is in that room and that he's here to deal with it and that he's going to have to go up there and that it's waiting for him. It's just uh Yeah, and it's really and... fantastic. You know, it's back to front when you think of, you know, the analogies that yeah. we normally see on that, you know, in that it's it's a guy looking up to the evil, that the, mm. the evil is where the light is. And, you know, it's, it, yeah, I just, it's the perfect poster for the perfect film, isn't it? Yeah. It's <laughs> it very good. Is. And it's one of the few ones where you watch a film and go, hey, that's the poster. <laughs> yeah, that, that moment <laughs> happened. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, that's in this film. <laughs> Oh, lovely, lovely, lovely. Um, well, there you go then. We've we've achieved we've achieved our first slice of bread. So we're gonna be getting into the delicious, delicious movie filling. Um, which Paul suggested, as far as I remember. Um Yes. Did I hold on? <laughs> I can't remember. Don't try and get out of it now. <laughs> I may well no. have done. No, I, I I believe you did, but uh, it, it Matthew knew about it as far as I remember. Mm. So um Yeah, this is one that was on my list. So there you go, you see. So Fantastic. yes, you won't be alone. Which um well Matthew's got all the stuff written down, so Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, you won't be alone. So from twenty twenty two. So it mm. well, almost as new as you can get. Oh yeah. And it is a Macedonian film. Mm. Or uh, do we have to call it North Macedonia now, I think, because Oh, I guess Otherwise, so. Otherwise, Greece will get mad at us. Yeah. Uh, so, it's, so a bit of geopolitics we weren't expecting to drop in there. Uh, so <laughs> you never know where it's going to come up. It was written and directed by Goran Stolevsky. And the cast is uh, Anna Maria Marincha, who plays Maria slash the wolf eatress. Uh, Numi Rapace, who plays Basilka uh, slash mother. Mm. Uh, Alice Englert, who plays uh, Biliana, Carlotto Cotra, who plays Boris, Sarah Klimons, sorry, Klimoska, who plays Navina, and Arta Dobrisky, uh, sorry, Dobrowski, who plays Stramina. Uh, I, I apologise if I did butcher any of those. <laughs> uh, it's actually, I wasn't able to find any budget information for this. It was a bit of a struggle. Mm. Uh, I did find uh, one... Uh, well, when you Google, uh, you won't be alone budget. It comes up saying it was seventy million, but there is no 
production <laughs> company in the world that's going to give $70 million to a first-time director in <laughs> Macedonia. So that, that's, that's definitely not true. No. Uh, also, the box office uh, seems to be that it was about <laughs> 334000 uh, Yeah. So, I mean, this guy probably would have been executed by if, uh, <laughs> if that was the real return. Uh, so, yeah, I think the budget is likely much lower, but the box office is probably correct. I think it, it might be higher sense. because I think it, I think it for went, if that's how you would say it, um, a cinematic release. I think it went straight to streaming and that is some voodoo stuff that I don't understand. I don't, I don't know how they count how much money a movie has made once it goes to streaming. Um, but certainly here in the UK, I don't think it got a cinematic release. It was Not at the London from, Film Festival. From what I can gather, there was a limited release in Australia, which is right. where, where that money's come from, I think. Mm. Uh, yeah. But it's, it is all a bit vague. And you know, like you say, streaming makes it all, all the more murky. Yeah. Yes, we have a lot of trouble with box office on here, really, don't we? Because the amount of <laughs> the amount of horror films that did well on DVD or yes. you know stuff like that that we don't get figures for, so we we often ignore it as a figure, anyway, don't we? <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it's one of them, isn't it? With, with box office, it's no it's no hallmark for quality. It's just, just a number that kind of gives you an invitation about how uh, sorry, an inclination about how much people liked it. Mm, yeah absolutely so yeah the film uh, as we said is uh, Macedonian and it's set in 19th century Macedonia mm. uh, so if you're you know geopolitical again I think it was probably part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire at that time uh, and a yeah a young girl is kidnapped and then transformed into a witch by an evil spirit mm. and Curious about her life as a human, the witch accidentally kills a peasant in the nearby village and takes her victim shape to live life in her skin. Yes. Her curiosity ignited, she continues to wield this horrific power to understand what it means to be human. And I just took that right off Google. <laughs> <laughs> it's an apt um, description, Google. Oh, well, man, I, I really thought you'd, uh, you'd, you'd brought out an amazing thing there, but just <laughs> someone else's words. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to. There is no writer to credit that it's not listed there. So whoever wrote that, I, you have my gratitude because <laughs> it was much more succinct than I would have been able to do it. Yeah, good stuff. So, well, who, who wants to get us started on it? I can talk a little. Um, so I saw this at the London Film Festival um, at a press screening. I'm aware that it did Sundance as well, and I think a few others. As It was around the place, sort of did the festival circuit. Um, yeah, and I was just, I was very impressed by it. Um, I'm a big fan of folk horror, and in particular folk horror that sort of suggests uh, the mythology of its culture. And um, this put me in mind of a whole bunch of things. Vi came to mind, of course, uh, Locus, which is a Russian movie about bear people. Um, I recently saw The Juniper Tree, which I believe was a Icelandic movie with Bjork in it, which had a similar kind of thing. Um, going on in terms of, it might be Finnish, I'm not sure, some form of Scandinavian. Um, but yeah, in terms of just witchcraft, it's very frequently a theme in there, and also November and um, Hagazusa as well. There's a whole bunch of these movies which just have these very rich-feeling worlds kind of built into them which feel whole. And the rules of how this works are mysterious and yet so consistent, you know, in order to 
make somebody a shape-shifting witch, there's a process which is seen twice, and so it's spelled out. And in order for the witch to shape-shift, that is a process that is also spelled out. So you have this very definite logic to the very surreal imagery that you're seeing. And it's just such an enticing prospect, is the idea of this girl who's been raised in a cave, completely removed from everything, trying to understand the incredibly violent and um, dis- distressing world around her, and doing evil herself, but not really through malice, but more through a lack of understanding of life, which gradually she does develop. Um, so yeah, it's just, uh, it yeah, it really caught me. It was a fantastical premise used to explore something very, very human, and I love that kind of thing. I mean, you probably should have just said that instead of me reading the synopsis from Google. <laughs> oh, no, your synopsis is great. It set the stage really well. I will say, though, as a horror movie, maybe it's not great. Because I, I showed this to my family when I did the rewatch. And it was like, you'll like it. It's a horror f- film. It's it's not... I mean, it's gory. Um, but I don't know how it will play to a horror crowd um, if you set them up with that expectation. Yeah, I think that's probably my biggest takeaway from the film in that mm. I... I felt that it was more of a, you know, like you, like you said, a, you know, an exploration of of humanity, you know, from yeah. an outsider. Mm. And I felt the film quite sad rather than scary. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, this it this is. tragic figure who's just been been removed from just well everything, isn't she? You know, she just yeah dumped in a cave for so long, uh, and the only kind of companionship she has is with this you know malevolent uh you know well freddy krueger basically isn't it look yeah. uh to look at and, <laughs> yeah you know i say she she the only way that she can experience humanity and can uh you know find out what it means to to be as part of society to have friends to have loved ones is to commit you know pretty evil grim acts or you know yeah. what we would consider evil if this character had any sense of morality but even then it's, it's so sad that she, she doesn't even have that yeah yeah and then the another aspect of the samus is the uh the witch um what's the name of the witch they, they tell the tale of um old maid maria that's it old maid maria her her character is so tragic because she is this person who has this curse who just constantly like initially wants a daughter just to keep her company in her old age as the uh the, the mother says um and then she acquires this daughter and she is just so much more curious about her fellow human beings and better at fitting in with them and sort of learning their ways because she's willing to humiliate herself and be caught out and get hurt which is in, in a way that maria isn't and it's kind of cool that you know, being human means putting yourself out there, getting hurt by them, putting yourself at risk, hurting them, and all these other things. And that's what allows her to assimilate back into civilization in a way that she just couldn't. Yeah. Um, I think initially for me, this was I thought this was one of those films I wasn't smart enough for, um, which which often does happen. Um, <laughs> but everything you two have said is what I took from it. So yeah, maybe I'm doing. Maybe I'm getting better at this. No, oh, yeah, uh, it's all in there. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it's it's definitely a film that that trades in vibes, isn't it? Yeah. You oh know, yeah, it's atmosphere and 
the beauty of it. It's really wonderfully shot. It actually put me in life of a Terence Malick movie from a few years ago, um, A Hidden Life, which was his big return to form after a few sort of uh, stinkers. Um, it has uh, maybe it's just the setting, the sort of farm aesthetic of the whole thing, but there's this gliding quality to the camera. I think cinematography by Matthew Chung, I think I wrote down. I gotta be honest, I copied my notes over from when I reviewed this for Jen and the Film Critic, so I assume they're still accurate. <laughs> um, and I, I was reviewing, it was during the film festival, so I was reviewing like 20 movies, so I might have copied the completely different cinematographer over. No, Matthew Chung, it's okay. Um, yeah, absolutely. So it's, yeah, it's definitely one for vibes. Yeah, I'd say it's a film that you mentioned below, uh, before, but I thought this was, in terms of that, you know, vibe storytelling, mm. it, it did remind me very much of Hagazusa. Uh, oh, yeah. But for that, you know, and like settings, very similar for that as well, isn't it? You yes. Know, it's uh, not rural, mountain, you know. Uh, I mean, Absolutely. Hagazus is German, isn't it? So you know that's yeah, Central Europe rather than so you know, mm. Balkans, but it's similar landscapes. Similar yeah, landscapes. definitely, and yeah. and that also vague witchcraft. That yes, what I would say about you won't be alone though. It's much more accessible uh, mm. in terms of that because it does give you, you know, it does give you the story once you settle into it. I think you know it is quite. I won't say you know that's necessarily easy to follow but hmm. it it doesn't it doesn't provide too many obstacles i'd say once you're settled in and you, you kind of know what you're feeling with it yeah absolutely yeah it, it's i think it's there, there were moments early on where yeah until you get the hang of how it works because the first image of the film kind of implies how the shape-shifting works because you see a cat the cat runs off screen you hear the cat yowling and in pain and then abruptly stop and then the cat runs back across the screen. So, you know, can you infer from that? Because I kind of thought, okay, we thought the cat was dying, but actually the cat got the better of whatever it was fighting. So this is a movie about how things that are pretty and seem fragile maybe aren't, you know, so maybe it's, it's setting that up. But no, I was wrong. It's, um, it's, it's setting up with the idea that the cat did die and now the witch has taken the cat's form. Um, and so it's kind of teaching you the mechanic, but you don't really get it, I don't think, until... I don't think the first time I saw it, I really understood the idea until uh, she got Numi Rapass. Yeah, that, that was exactly the same for me as well. Yeah, because uh, it it really, it really makes a meal of of showing that one, doesn't it? I think yeah. that that's that's a lot of the horror from this, isn't it? I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the process. Visceral mm. uh, demonstration, and it's. You, know, you see her tearing herself apart and then stuffing another person's yeah. innards in there, and it's Ugh. yeah, pretty. <laughs> it's pretty grim, pretty icky. It's, it's very icky, and yeah, absolutely. And um, oh god, the only and it all looks great. The special effects, I think, are generally very good, with one exception, which is when we see the backstory for Maria and we see um her on fire. Um, having left the the stake, having climbed down from the stake, that didn't look very good. Otherwise, I think pretty good special effects throughout. Yeah, I think the, the special effects were quite restrained, weren't they? Um, until mm. then, you know. And... Yeah, it was a big, ambitious CGI shot, and it's hard. I think it would be hard for anyone to get right as a sort of recognizable flaming person. Yeah, mm. unless you actually set a person on fire, but <laughs> Pro- probably hey. union laws against that. Ugh. God, I wish it was the AC still. 
Uh, I did love, I love how everyone managed to play the same character though, because everyone, you know, um, we start with Sarah uh, Klimoska playing this character and then everyone needs to come in and sort of do the same role. And I loved Numi Rapace in that role. I really enjoyed her trying to learn how to laugh with people and it's just so awkward. Yeah, (laughs) and cry as well. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, she kind of looks like she's mocking at times, and yeah, and she just doesn't you know, understand why nobody or, or laughing at times, or you know. yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, I really like Carlotto Carter, who again takes on the same character and has has to play this character with sort of this naivete, in spite of being such a big guy, um, was quite pleasing. Yeah, I was, I was going to say actually while I was watching it, it had uh, vibes like we were talking about with Possessor with. Someone, mm, yes, somebody playing someone else through themselves, and it, it, it's like you say, it's done really well. Like, um, it just seems like the same character through all the people. Yeah. And I think, I think when she does it through the man who I can't remember, like you said, it's oh, it, it, it's just so, uh, it's just so different, so very different. Um, mm. uh, uh, oh. But um, for me, there was more horror elements in it than um, than just the gore. Mm. Um, for example, I found um, uh, so obviously right at the beginning, the mother of um, uh, of the girl sort of she makes a deal with the with old maid Maria or the wolf eateress, whatever you want to call yeah. her. Yeah, um, you know, you can have her when she's sixteen, but then she tries mm. to hide her away. Yeah, and, and in and in hiding in hiding her away, she obviously loves her so much. She gives mm. her no life whatsoever. Yeah, um, and to me, to me, it was not terrifying, but it was sort of um, you know a horror moment. Really, it's like You're right. being she's just been locked away forever. So she is a human being, and but she then has to become a witch to learn how to become a human being despite despite the fact that she could have had that life for herself that her mother kept from her to no avail because um yeah the witch turns up anyway and it was really to me that was really like um yeah it made me uncomfortable um and also there's a lot of i'd say sex elements in this that are mm-hmm. very that are very uncomfortable and yes. Again, not scary to watch, but certainly moments of horror. Um, there's especially when they cut back to Old Maid Maria and they sort of they make her have sex with this man who's dying, mm. um, just so that he won't go to, you know, the next place as a virgin or whatever. And then, yeah. of course, she does. She, I think it's her. She gets ill as well, but and that's after they burn her. Right? I'm not. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. So yeah, You're it's, right. It, there, were, there were some horror elements in there that enough to make me go, eh, I didn't like that very much. Um, <laughs> I think what you've hit on though is that that horror is, you know, it, it's not traditional in any sense, is mm. it? You know, it's not what we, we normally, you know, what we normally cover on this, for example, uh, because there's never any, never any times where you sat with characters who are fearful generally, you know, there's the open scene, of course. Mm. Uh, but, you know, uh, certainly, you know, Numira Pass, at, at, you know, when she dies and that, you know, it's a horror element, you know, it's taken by surprise. And yeah. what a lot of the stuff that we would normally consider horror for those kills, 
you know, we, we don't, we don't sit with the characters. We don't feel the fear that they're feeling because they don't really feel it. So like you said, you know, the horror all comes from elsewhere from, you know, these other bits and pieces, you know, the uh, horror as a medium for sadness a lot of the time. It's scary scenarios. And there is also something very unsettling about the idea of her just taking over positions in people's lives. Like Numi Rapace's character very clearly has a close relationship with her mother-in-law, you know, who defends her from the abusive partner that she has, saying, you know, he he learned it all from his dad. And, you know, he she she beckons her away in order, you know, when he gets violent and, you know, tells him there's no need for that, that kind of thing. And later on, obviously, she's gonna assume the position of a child, you know, and have a relationship with the mother and it's 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 sinister it's it's sinister to see her there sort of occupying these places with people who love the person that she's imitating and you know that that's not really them that there's a you know our character in there the kind of dangerous character who through their naivete might cause a tremendous amount of harm at any moment because she accidentally kills at least one person in this you know without realizing it so right, you start to yeah, feel yeah. very unnerved when she starts interacting with other people i think there's a scene where she's at, like finds well she finds the baby just before she meet uh she's with numi rapaz um and you just think oh god what's gonna happen here what's she gonna do with her long claws yeah yeah there's uh, the there's a lot to dig in here i mean mm-hmm. i'd say it's at some points it doesn't quite know where it's trying to go with itself i think um you know, just to not not give it all amazing things. Like, I actually think that there's a lot of times when old maid Maria shows up and it, it sort of loses its, um, um, well, almost steam a bit. And I know she's there to sort of, she's, I mean, ultimately, in the, in the end, she she basically can't understand how it is that in her life she wasn't able to, yeah, um, you know, well, when she was a human, she she tried to have the best life and couldn't. And then obviously as a witch, she was just whatever she was. And uh, The wolf eatress. <laughs> well, yeah. It's I just, not a job title anybody covets, really. I often felt until the end that she, she took some of the steam out of the film. Mm. Um, but that's just me. You know, I'm just... Uh, no, I see what you mean. I think there's a bit of a, uh, a it's an easy trap to fall into because the film's very deliberately slowly paced. Mm. So I think when anything like, you know, does come and, and take it away from that, then it sort of grinds it to a halt, you know, and, and you need to sort of get back up again. Whereas I think if, you know, if there are a few, I think, you know, if you say you cut 20 minutes out of it and you sort of moved it along a bit quicker. No, it wouldn't be the same film, but I think you'd you wouldn't face those same issues because you know you'd you'd be you'd have the momentum to push it through. No. I think the thing about her reappearing and it being jarring for me was that it, that's how it felt for her. You know, she's she's sweeping along, she's having this life, she's enjoying things, and then suddenly this this terrible Freddy Krueger style uh, witch appears, and it's a reminder. It's a constant jabbing reminder. Hey, you don't belong. You know, you don't belong here. You should come with me because ultimately, what she wants is for her to be her companion. I think, and she resents these little. She's patient. 
she's willing for her and she thinks that she's going to learn on her own that humanity will always know who she is and reject her in the end because that's what happened to her um and that's just a horrible reminder for her so there's a lot to relate to in terms of the idea of being an imposter in in a society of just feeling like you're the one who doesn't belong you know and we can all take comfort that not for most of us that's not the case because we're terrible evil witch monsters who have killed people literally killed people to take their place in society <laughs> if only um, <laughs> but I, I think we've talked that through yeah. unless you've got anything else to say Matthew Paul? well I would say just on, on that that last little point is I think you won't be alone is is kind of the perfect title for it isn't it mm. Uh, because that that's kind of what all the characters want from this, don't they? Yeah. It's good stuff. And I really like it. That's one of the things that surprised me is the idea that this movie, which portrays the world as being such a harsh place with so much, you know, brutality, violence and prejudice in it is also ultimately a movie about connection and about warmth and hope and love, which, yeah, took me by surprise. Which is what you always hope a horror movie will do, I think. <laughs> Uh, right. Well, um, do you have any of the? So yeah, I've got the the critical consensus in front of us here. So it got uh, a ninety three percent on Rotten Tomatoes uh, from the critics, and sixty nine percent from the audience. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's it's kind of what you expect from this kind of movie, isn't it? it you know, it's not going to be for everyone. You know. Yeah. Pretty solid Although, audience score, I think. Sixty nine—that's not too bad. Yeah, it's certainly. To be honest, it is—it is better than I expected. I think what hmm. uh, I would probably put down for that is that it's not. This isn't a film that has reached a, a really wide audience. The people that are no, watching this, the people that are seeking it out. That's true. Uh, so you yeah. know, uh, which when you put it like that, you should—I would probably expect it to be a bit higher. To be honest, <laughs> yeah. I think festival uh, crowds will have been quite a bit of this movie's audience. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think the letterbox reflects that as well because it's got a three point six, so it's you know a, hmm. about the same, uh, yeah, same sort of ballpark figure. Mm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, just... So, oh. what what would you say though, Mark? Where would where would you put this film? Well, just to let Paul know, when he was last here, there was only two. It was either shit or a creative psychopath. But we have. <laughs> We have slipped in a, a middle one now, which is an ooh, it's spooky. So it's ooh, it's spooky. Yeah, so it's one of the three. Um, okay, let's see. Probably sitting down to record this, I was gonna say ooh, it's spooky, but actually, I think it's one of those sort of movies that benefits chatting to somebody else about and just and you know. I think yeah. I, and I do often have this thing, and everybody who listens to this knows that I do have this thing where I'm a bit concerned sometimes that I didn't get what it was about. But actually, actually, I did. It was, I was right in the money. So, mm. um, yeah, as a creative psychopath for me, it was, um, it was pretty damn good. Yay. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Lovely. Yeah. I gave it five stars on Jen and the Film Critic uh, for Screen Mayhem. So, yeah, I think I would stick with that and call it a creative psychopath. Yeah, that, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty emphatic, isn't it? Mm. Uh, I think this is where where the the problem with 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 our system has has arisen because I don't <laughs> think you really can. You, you can't really call this an anew that spooky because it's it, it's not particularly spooky, is it? <laughs> In any way, uh, 
but yeah, I think it's personally it's not you know not entirely to my taste. I did I did enjoy it certainly, mm. but it's I don't think it's the type of film that that really pushes my buttons fully. Mm. But what I will say is that it's you know it's very it's very single minded. It knows exactly what it wants to do, and I think it it executes it very well, and it and it's certainly a beautiful thing to look at coming out of it. So I'm going to go for the creative psychopath as well. I think it's right. Uh, I think the technical level of it and and the way that it's put together is is excellent. Beautiful. Uh, even if I probably would put it more of a drama as a horror film, but <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> ah well, we're, we're we're here to look at movies, so and I saw I sold you enough horror, I think. Um, oh, lovely! So that's the filling, the delicious, delicious, mm. delicious movie filling, uh, it's full of various human awful. Oh, no. <laughs> we're not going to eat it. We're just going to stuff it in an orifice as we made into our own bodies. Well, that that sounds Which is the most revolting thing anyone said on this podcast. I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> That sounds quite scary. And that said, let's get into the last slice of bread. So mm. uh, Paul's got some questions to answer. Oh, no. The first one is, what is the scariest horror movie? So I probably, if you did ask me this the first time, and I'm sorry, I can't remember I if don't, you did. I don't, I don't think I, I did. I, okay. I, I only had a small amount of questions the first time you were on. <laughs> Well, if you had, I would have answered the exact same way because it pretty much stays the same. For me, there's like the, the the perfect ideal horror cinema has an upstairs and a downstairs. And in your upstairs, it's got the really good sort of widescreen Dolby surround sound, excellent prestige picture movies playing. And there it shows the two best horror movies of that type, which is The Shining and The Exorcist. Those two. I absolutely adore those films they are big budget you know gloss glossily made and yet still utterly terrifying because they have that whiff of the inexplicable about them the sort of i don't know the the phantom in the ether that just sort of frightens you and defies complete explanation and just seems to find a language of horror and then downstairs in the screen that people feel a bit uncomfortable in that you can only get to by going through the kitchen and sort of into the basement um where the the staff members don't go and see what's going on down there, they just hit this play button on the on the cameras and run. Um, down there, you've got two really gritty kind of the, the the two great horror movies for me that feel like they were just discovered in the woods or in somebody's basement because of the low sort of fidelity but utterly terrifying and hypnotizing quality. And those two are the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the original Evil Dead both of which just have this really gruey, grainy kind of quality to them. But again, just that inexplicable nature. That's what really frightens me. Like, what does it mean when you suddenly cut to a nest of spiders in the corner of the shack in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Where did this music come from? And how is it ever composed? This sort of boom. Like, what is that? Who decided to do this? And then the filmmaking in The Evil Dead, just so playful and silly, but also just terrifying. That little, just strapping a camera to a two by four and running it through the woods. That's the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. And yeah, it's it's those four. Those are the four scariest movies for me. The ones that genuinely make me feel a little uncomfortable watching them alone in the house. That was an excellent answer. All great choices. 
Thank you. Okay. Fairly yeah, safe choices. I'd I'd love to be able to say, oh, it's this obscure, you know, <laughs> it's this obscure Brazilian film that nobody's ever seen. It's the scariest movie ever made. But no, it is those four movies. They are, they are for me. They're, they're the obvious answers for a reason. They're just yeah. Sometimes horrifying. reputations are earned. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed they are. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and I, I don't think anything these days has has reached those levels. I mean. Well, every you know, yeah. two or three weeks, you get a you know BuzzFeed article or something. You've been like, "This is the scariest movie ever made." People are turning it off on Netflix after only twenty-seven minutes, <laughs> and you watch the movie and go, "Oh yeah, see why they turned it off? It's yeah. shy." <laughs> they got bored and wandered off. Yeah. And Netflix, oh. whatever their algorithm is, is like, "Oh, this must be so scary that people can't even stand <laughs> to watch how scary yeah. it is." Yeah, Netflix, Netflix really needs fifteen more service. of them. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> Yeah, Christ knows how their decision making is being influenced. <laughs> no, yeah, it's uh, pretty good. So, uh, best soundtrack, Oscar, or maybe like yeah. So, the main music I listen to as film soundtracks is the pathetic truth of my addiction to films. So this was really hard. Um, to throw out a few, it follows by Disaster Piece is a great sort of retro throwback soundtrack that surpasses a lot of the soundtracks that it's sort of borrowing from. Um, underrated The Thing by Ennio Morricone, perhaps the most undeserving Razzies winner ever. This one, like, given a Razzie for Ennio Morricone's soundtrack to The Thing. I love that soundtrack. It's, it's subdued, but it's beautiful and it's sad in so many places. When Wilford Brimley is investigating the alien and it's just sort of these low sort of sad noises i love that i can't believe that one or has it i know it's outrageous I am, yeah i'm a little bit i'm a little bit angry at this well so you should and angry at the razzies in general who've just become a massive kick it punching downwards industry in in general but the thing was just a bad take that's a great soundtrack yeah i'm actually more angry about that than i am at them targeting an 11 year old girl for an, an award <laughs> You leave any Morcone alone, you monsters. Yeah. Um, another great soundtrack, Under the Skin, Mika Levy. Mika Levy in general is fantastic, but Under the Skin is one of the most chilling soundtracks. Just that strained little violin noise and the deep synths. And ugh, it's like a like being dunked into a cold bath of water, that soundtrack. It's just chilling. Um, but ultimately, I think probably great horror soundtracks. You've got to talk about Italy. Um, and the great things that happen there. Obviously, Goblin, Ritz Ortolani, mm. Mar- and Morricone. Um, but I feel less spoken about as Fabio Fritzi, who did really good soundtracks to movies like The Beyond and Zombie 2, a lot of um, Lucio Fulci stuff. And The Beyond in particular, the main theme to The Beyond is this gorgeous piece that's very definitely borrowing from Morricone, but ha- is legitimately beautiful in its own right. And Zombie 2 is so lo-fi that it's just gorgeous. It feels like it was made on the first synth ever made, but it just, it's its so overwhelming and great. So yeah, I think I'd, I'd select a Fabio Fritzi track. Wow. <laughs> you uh, Again, another, another wonderful answer. Um, it's, it's weird having someone who's prepared for this, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Me, me and you never do. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, I was waiting for Goblin to come up, and it did. So I was oh, pleased. yeah. I was pleased about that. And Goblin, uh, that's right. That's whenever so I get any of these questions, I just, just panic and say Scream. And that's, there, there you go. It's done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Scream has such a nostalgic soundtrack. I was, I was re-watching it. What's the track that plays when Casey's about to get murdered? Gorgeous. 
Like, oh my god, that's a 90s track. You <laughs> gorgeous. And it's like, Jesus, this takes me back. <laughs> I, I remember uh, I I saw Scream in uh, they, they did a special like, 25th anniversary screening. Oh my back. god, we're all so old. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> oh no. They thought the first time that Red Right Hand plays in it, there was just this, oh, thing yeah. the, this whole thing around the cinema going, oh, you know, he's a Peaky Blinders song. Yeah. <laughs> well done for Peaky Blinders on managing to, because that song is the Scream song. Like it's all in all three of the first three movies. It might be in the late, later ones. I, don't I, th- I think it, yeah, I think it's in all of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, well done on Peaky Blinders for taking that on and being like, no, you know what? We're going to make this the Peaky Blinder track. <laughs> yeah, it's, so we, I do think it's a weird choice for Peaky Blinders, but hey, hey ho, we're not here to talk about Peaky Blinders. No, we're not. No, we're not. So the last <laughs> question that I've got for you, and I'm really curious about this. Yeah. So so far, I think we've had one answer, maybe. So best remake. Ooh. Right. Well, I mean, there's the obvious ones, of course, but I'm not going to go near those. Um, instead, I'm going to say my favorite remake, and this is divisive. Mm-hmm. My favorite remake is the Suspiria remake. Luca Guadagnino's 2018 film. I I love the original Dario Argento and the Goblin mm. soundtrack and all the rest, but I I just I really adore what Guadagnino does with it. And to me, this is what you should do if you're going to remake something. And it's the same thing that the Thing and the Fly did as well, which is take the premise and then make a different movie with yeah. very few of the same beats. Just make your own thing. And I think Guadagnino definitely did that. If it has a failing, I would say it it explains itself a bit too much. It's a bit too, you know, it's like they get so far into the mechanics of how this body switching thing they're trying to do is actually going to work um, that it takes away from some of the mystery of the film. And the first Suspiria is full of mystery. But the visuals, Tom York's soundtrack, which, again, is another one of my favorite horror movie soundtracks. Um, yeah. And the performances from uh, Tilda Swinton and, oh, God, I can see your face. What's your name? Dakota Johnson. Yep, thank you. Uh, Dakota <laughs> Johnson. <laughs> uh, all of the uh, performances from Tilda Swinton, in fact. Um, yeah, and Dakota Johnson is just, yeah, I, I, I really like that movie. Yeah, I must admit, I haven't I haven't watched that one because I don't, I don't like the original one. Ah, like... well, you may like the remake better then. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. To be honest, I didn't realise that it was a sort of different movie. I was just thought it... Mm. As they often do, Americanize these things and um, yeah, usually make them worse. Which for me, it couldn't have been much worse because I don't like. I say I really don't <laughs> like. I, I love the soundtrack from that Suspiria film, but yeah. I don't. I'm uh, that movie just like I don't know. Maybe it may it could be because I watched the dub, but it just sort of mm-hmm. meanders along and uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I really loved the remake, and I was very happy to see Guadagnino return to horror this year with uh... oh, what's wrong with Bones, and, Bones all. and all? There we go. <laughs> Bones oh, and that, all. That, that that's one I still need to see, so I'm looking forward oh. to that. Yeah, I really too. really enjoyed Bones and all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think that'll go down well. It's another one of these movies that's horror because of no, there's some genuinely legitimately terrifying moments in that movie. Thinking about it. Um, yeah, it's a it's a full on horror movie, but it's also a movie about coming of age and romance, and yeah, there's a there's a lot going on with that, and a wistful melancholy to it as well. Oh, excellent! Somebody didn't say the Evil Dead remake. Well done. Oh yes, I, I need to rewatch that. You know, especially with the new one coming out because I don't remember it very well. I think it 
it does that that thing you mentioned where you said uh you know that it, it takes that the premise mm. uh but takes it somewhere else but also it does that but at the same time just just makes the exact same thing you know right. <laughs> yeah so it's yeah i love it for that it's yeah uh i think what it, it does is it sort of takes that first film and then sort of gives it a you know spruce up fresh fresh mm. coat of paint and you know gives it some some new looks to it uh, yeah but also, you know, just tweaks, you know, a few a few different things here and there just to make it yeah. feel individual. And yeah, it, it, it's a great one. I, I really like that oh, film. Oh, man. I need to rewatch it because one thing I will say uh, that I do remember very vividly is the trailer for it because I included it in, we did an OGT episode about trailers, film trailers, and I included it as one of my top 10 favorite trailers because, right. my God, it had a good trailer with the sort of cutting of um, what's going on and that familiar sort of roaring sound. Uh, used in the soundtrack it was yeah very good trailer oh lovely um right well we'll start winding down then i think um so paul uh, you might as well sell yourself to the people oh god where to begin um let's go what's most relevant let's go you know i've mentioned it throughout the podcast jen and the film critic uh Mm -hmm. Yep, we're available uh, on any good podcatcher. I think RSEO is relatively good. I don't think a lot of other podcasts went for Jen and the Film Critic for their title, so we're doing okay there. One good thing, on the other hand, is still being taken up by that gardening lady. God damn her. So you've got to do OGT Pod to find out about One Good Thing, the podcast where we find the good things in terrible movies. Um, and then I guess the only other one to mention is Quest Fantastic, uh, which is the uh, role-playing podcast where I play a little frog guy. So if you're in the mood for that. Uh, something a bit different check that out otherwise screen mayhem carries all of the uh reviews that i do right when i don't put them in chat in the film critic which is fairly rare lovely yeah uh, all all great podcasts i'm b- a, a big fan of all three um <laughs> lovely I, I I have to listen to Jen and the film critic like later on, sort of later in time because i can't watch as many films as you or at least as many new oh ones. yeah it's yeah, that's always frustrating when that happens when one of my favorite critics release something and it's like oh, I need to watch that first. But see, there is a new episode with the way you talk about Mathrigan, so I'll look forward. Yeah, to Yeah, Mathrigan. Um, They're gonna be in so much trouble when they, if they release three of these. I, I think I think it's it, it'll be fine. <laughs> the thing is, when I, to, well, that's the time when you actually just put the letter E in, isn't it? Just to ah, oh, just to mess it. with people. When, when I first. The, Saw the film come out. I was sure it was called Mithriga Foran. <laughs> well, that's what you'll do when the fourth one comes out. Mithriga yeah, Foran. and I was sure it was in there. And yeah, I Mandela affected myself. Yeah, you did, yeah. <laughs> I highly recommend uh, Mithrigan. Incidentally, I really enjoyed it. Oh, well, we'll talk about that later. Um, yeah. <laughs> right, well, lovely everyone. So that's it. We've, we've done it. We've achieved another podcast. I hope you enjoyed that one. Um, well, hey. Don't forget about all the thingies social media thingies um letterboxd i'm cp underscore podcast matthew is at matthew formley um go on there see what we're watching um do all the things everyone's stopped listening by now aren't they once you start watching <laughs> uh, so let's just go bye bye, bye.